hard part is reconstructing our humanity, that social fabric, capturing and, and recovering those values because we have lost our humanity. Today's episode is sponsored by Etched Communication, a full-service public relations and crisis management firm. Connect with Etched via its website at etchedcom.com, E-T-C-H-E-D-C-O-M-M.com. There is no greater impact than that of love. The only thing that can transcend our physical being is love. The effects of love remain throughout time. Love's influence can cause a ripple effect that touches and nurtures others even long after our mortal bodies have ceased to exist. When I contemplate the death of my loved ones, I am inevitably transported to love because love is what they leave behind. That beautiful passage was written by our guest today, Irena Greaves, who has written this extraordinary book called Lovescaping. And Irena, I am just beyond excited to have you here with us today because I know that you believe love is the answer to so much, if not all, of what ails our world today. I agree with you. And I just can't wait for you to share with our audience what Lovescaping is and what you are doing to help spread more love in our world. Thank you, Linda. And I, it's the first time, actually, that I hear somebody reading a passage from my book. Really? Out loud. Really? And it, it was, yeah, very, it touched me a lot. It was, it, I felt, I was, wow, I can't believe that that's written there. And it made me feel, made me remember um, what you said about just uh, reminiscing what people leave behind with when our mortal bodies are gone. Right. What remains is love. And lovescaping is the work of my life. This is my legacy. Uh, the book is my manifesto of love. So if I'm no, when I'm no longer here, I can say this is what I've learned thus far. I hope I still have a long way to go. I hope I still have many years more to live. But I can say that at this time in my life, at 31 years old, I have learned that love transcends all differences and that we can learn to love and that in fact we should learn to love. So lovescaping existed and I created it based on my life experience. It's my philosophy of life. Um, I've had the great privilege and opportunities to live in different parts of the world. I'm originally from Venezuela. I lived there my whole childhood, adolescence, and then I left. And I've been living in different countries and continents around the world ever since. And all of those experiences, whether I was working, uh, teaching, learning, volunteering, led me to the realization that love is what unites us and that we as human beings have more in common than what we think. And that can sound incredibly obvious and like common sense, but when I look at our world, I see that the root cause of all the problems in it is lack of love. If you really dig deep and you look at any form of violence or oppression, xenophobia, racism, hatred, fear, those are all the antitheses of love. And so in a place where love is cultivated and nurtured, there is no room 
for those antitheses. And what I, I love about what you're doing and your approach to this, because as you say, you know, what you're saying is not something we haven't all certainly heard and thought and felt before, but you believe that love can literally be taught yes. and that just because we are born into this world does not mean that we know how to love. Those of us who are fortunate enough see love modeled in our families, but not everyone has that privilege. So um, tell us a little bit more about how you are going about teaching love. And then I I'm really want to know a lot more, too, of course, about your, your background and, and, and how you got into this and, and, and what makes you qualified to teach love. Mm-hmm. So... Just yes. all of that. Just yes. all of that. <laughs> that's, and that's what the book is all about, right? And right. that's why I uh, basically, I had my epiphany at the in 2015. I was finishing my master's in education, and I wrote a paper called Love, in which I introduced this new paradigm called lovescaping, which means practicing love in action. I am a lovescaper because I practice love in action. I realized there that education is first and foremost a profession of love. Love for your students, love for the profession, love for the subject that you're teaching. And when I think about our world and I look at our schooling and our educational systems, there's something missing. We focus so much on matters of of reason and the head, right? And I'm not saying that's not important, but what about the matters of the heart? What about what where do we learn the skills and the values that make us human, right? And so I finished, I wrote that paper, and I said, I came back full circle. I sort of looked at all my experiences around the world, and I started coding and looking at the themes and the ingredients that made love possible. Because I realized that love is not is not easy. It's not a single entity. In order for us to learn to love and to practice love in action, we actually need to embody different values that I've termed pillars. So my philosophy has 15 pillars. And that's not just something I made up because they sound nice. They are all values, I believe, actually universal values. But when I started looking at my experience teaching and working in community projects in Mozambique, in China, in Venezuela, in Italy, in Guatemala, everywhere I've had the great privilege to live in, when I look at the feedback that I received from students and former um, community members and colleagues and friends, those ingredients popped up. They showed up. It was like uncovering the values that make love possible. And that's how the the pillars came about because love cannot exist without respect, right? Love cannot exist without empathy. Love cannot exist without humility, vulnerability, hope, liberation. So I'm naming just a few of the pillars there. So that's why I think there are two important things that we need to do. The first one is to your point about, we assume that we're gonna learn to love at home, right? From our parents. And that is our, a wrong assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody has that privilege, as you said, and I was incredibly privileged to have grown up in a home filled with love, but not everybody has that, and not every parent maybe has the tools to teach their children how to love, maybe because they never loved themselves. Exactly. They never learned to love. And so what happens is this vicious cycle... Just where, keeps repeating itself, going exactly, round and round. Exactly. And so I believe that learning to love should actually be the most important purpose of education. We go to school for 12 years, 
What do we learn in school? What is the purpose of schooling, right? This is a philosophical question. I think it's important absolutely to learn to be literate and um, basic arithmetic and to learn to be a critical thinker and all those things are very important. But what about in an ever-increasing globalized world where we're constantly in touch with people who are different from us, who grew up in a different environment with different culture, different language, different religion. How are we relating to them? How are we cultivating empathy and acceptance and embracing others? Uh, and I see that lacking. And so I've come to realize that we can teach to love because that's basically what I've been doing my whole life. And it was only in 2015 when I was able to verbalize it and to name it because I've always felt that love. And when I go back home to Venezuela or back home to Mozambique or back home to Italy, all of these places have become homes for me. And what we essentially were doing there was practicing love in action. And that was what transcended all those differences. And so now you have taken this concept literally into the schools here in the Houston area, right? That's right. So, you were just about to to share with me before we started, and I said, wait, 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 I want you to do it when we actually start rolling, because I can't wait to hear the story. Um, so but before you tell us about yesterday, which was the last day of, of your, your lovescaping class with your, what were they, first graders? First graders. First graders, sure. okay. So tell us what you're doing and how you are um, manifesting lovescaping in a classroom setting. So how are you teaching love? Sure, so I start with my 15 pillars. Uh, I have, I built a curriculum around teaching these 15 pillars. They are all skills and values that we can learn to embody. And so what I do is I just adjust the activities, the games, the role plays, the reflections to the age group. I've been working with children age seven, all the way to high schoolers who are about to graduate. So I have middle school, high school, elementary school. And I started my first pilot programs at the beginning of 2018. So I've been doing it now in a very intentional way. This is my dream job, uh, Linda. This is what fills my heart, that I'm actually teaching love by embodying, trying to embody the pillars myself. I think the greatest way you can teach something is through example right? Mm -hmm. It's almost like use words only if necessary. Your actions speak louder. Speak much louder than the words. Exactly. So take us into the classroom mm -hmm. on day one. Mm -hmm. And the, I assume that the class is called lovescaping. That's right. Um, so take us into one of the classrooms and, and let us know which age group we're talking about and share with us an experience, the, the reaction of the kids from the beginning mm -hmm. until months later. Yes. So I'll share um, my oldest group of kids, the high schoolers. Okay. It's very different. I'm um, sure. Yes. We come in and the first question that I always pose to any group is, where did you learn to love? Where did you learn to love? And so they have to reflect on that question and they oftentimes mention a family member or church or uh, belief they have and then we always start by sitting around a circle now I love circles because I think circles are symbols of unity and equality and community and so every at the start of every lesson we sit in a circle and we usually pose a question 
and we have a talking piece uh, which is an elephant called Lula because elephants actually exhibit a lot of the lovescaping qualities. They're very compassionate, empathetic animals. So we have my elephant Lula and we pass it around and everybody shares something about their day, how they're feeling. Uh, for the first session, it's always this question, right? Where do we learn to love? Because that opens up a very interesting discussion about people say, well, we've never thought about it that way. We've never been asked this question, right? It's like we assume that we're going to pick it yeah, up. We already the know, how we know how to we, love. What, what, that wouldn't necessarily be something that we had to learn. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so a lot of kids at the beginning are very resistant to participate. A lot of them are going through depression. They feel very alienated, Linda. They don't feel like they have anyone to count on, um, even their body language. Sometimes, I mean, I have kids the first lesson who were completely, they didn't even want to make eye contact. Um, you can tell that there's there's just that need to be seen and loved and heard. They, they don't have, maybe they don't have it at home, they don't have it in school either. And so to witness that transformation day after day, week after week that we do the sessions to see how they start kind of developing and cultivating that self-love, right? Because that passage you read, I think there's something important that happens when we love. It's a, it's a virtuous cycle because you can't cultivate self-love on your own, right? Unfortunately, we always say, well, you need to love yourself first before you love others. And I believe that is true, but it doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? your perception of yourself is based on the community that you're a part of and so what's reflected back to you exactly mm -hmm. so if i love you that can help you regain your sense of self-love and therefore the ability to love others hence the circle hence the circle yeah. exactly and so every session we talk about a pillar so when we have empathy in school we do a whole session on how to practice empathy. So I always bring, for example, shoes from people and I bring their photos and their stories. And I say, these are Marco's shoes, for example. This is what the world sees. So we read about his story. What do you think is happening to him? Everybody has an opinion. And then we actually practice literally getting into the shoes and the kids get into the shoes and they hear that person's voice saying what they're going through. And I mean, I've had students cry when we do that because a lot of them feel connected to the story of the person that we're practicing empathy with. I'm, I'm curious to know of a, of a particular story, a particular student who stands out in your mind, who maybe was one of those who was looking down and, or maybe sitting like this, you know, arms crossed, in, in the very first session and what that evolution was like from day one until the end of the school year. Is there a story you can share with us like that? Sure. So I have a student, um, uh, let's call her Maria to protect her identity. Of course. Um, uh, the first day I usually deliver a survey as well to um, older kids to kind of have a sense for their self-esteem and self-confidence. And when I read this student survey, I felt very worried and concerned because questions like, I believe I am worthy of love, you know, no, never. I, I feel loved by at least one person in my life, no, no one. Um, I believe that I can accomplish anything, no. Like, everything was just very negative. 
So I was very concerned about this student. I talked to the um, communities and schools representative who's there uh, during the class with me. And she said, you know, we that, thank you for reaching out. We have been um, monitoring her situation because she has been incredibly depressed and even attempted, uh, made a plan to take their lives. Hmm. Um, and so I am not a therapist, Linda, right? I am not a psychologist, but I am a human being that knows that love heals. And you don't need to have a degree in psychology or sociology to know that. Um, and so every week when I went to the class, uh, I made a point to really just have at least a conversation with her one-on-one because she felt she didn't feel confident sharing in the circle. Even mm-hmm. though we were a small group at the beginning, she would just we use one words. Uh, how are you? Okay. You know, nothing else could get out of her. But then I started um, asking her more questions about her life and students. When you build that trust, that's another thing. It, it starts with the trust. Yeah. Exactly. And the only way to build trust is by being consistent and reliable. Because who am I to come in, right? And, and why do you care? And that is a perfectly valid question because a lot of these kids have had people who have, you know, left their lives. And a lot of them are have family members who are being deported. And so this particular student has a very tough family situation. And slowly I started to, she started opening up. And, and so one of the first things I found out is that she loves art and she paints. And so um, she had a competition, uh, in, a big competition for many high schools around the city. And, and I went to see her work and to support her. And that day we talked about so many things one-on-one about her family and how she feels but she won a prize an award for those pieces and we were so proud and then even the kids in the group also became very supportive of her and were so uh you know they actually had the uh, work exhibited in the library of the school and we went to see it and it was it was so special to see other peers saying to her, we are proud of you. How did she react? She, at the beginning, you know, I think, I think she was, she was very, she was excited, but she didn't know how to express that right. excitement. Right. Because she's, it's a new it's feeling. A new feeling. It's a exactly. new feeling. But wow. then at the very end, you know, I got all these beautiful thank you cards from all of them. And by the end of the class, her smile, her facial expressions, her body, her posture, even the way she was standing tall and sharing much more than what she did at the beginning. Uh, and I think that's it's the little things, Linda, yeah. that make a difference. But of course, you also, as a teacher, as an educator, it requires a lot of work in being a good listener, right? Because every time after a class, I go home and I write everything everybody said, how I remember it, right? Because of course, during the time, I'm not taking notes. But So if she told me, my mom is getting surgery next week, she has an eye issue, the following week I would always read my notes before the class and follow up. Maria, how is your mom doing? Did she get her surgery? That, those little things. That says you care. It says you care. Right. Right? And Mm -hmm. so, and of course that takes time. And of course, you know, it's hard. It's hard work. You have to be invested. But... 
I, I just, I'm really encouraged that um, a, a program like this exists in our school system. Just that, that, how many schools are you in? Six. Six. So you're in six schools. Are they, are they all in HISD? HISD, Spring Branch ISD, and a KIPP school I had. Okay, so HISD, for those of you not in Houston, is the Houston Independent School District. So six schools that are, that are doing this, and obviously you're going, you're, you're, you're going to have metrics and you're going to be able to look at the, the progress. And um, I'm just, I'm so hopeful that something like this really does take on and expand because I, I just think that it's, it's so critical to getting us to where we need to be as a, as a society. I'm curious about the, the little ones, the, the first graders. Um, how is that? And then you mentioned, now I want you to tell me the story about your last day with the first graders yesterday. So it was one of the most fulfilling moments in my life. I have to say I cried of joy because we've been working from the beginning of the year with first graders and we've come such a long way. Even the kids learning to value those that special Thursday class where we got together in our lovescaping circle. And they all, they made a book for me, Linda, with all that they've learned, with their pictures and writing of what they've learned. And they all said, I love sharing my feelings because every time, that's how we start the class. How are you feeling today and why? A very simple question. And some kids cry, even the little ones, they cry. They say they're sad because grandpa's sick or whatever is happening in their lives. And to have that space where we honor that moment or they're happy because something exciting is happening in the weekend. So at the beginning, you know, because they're very little, it was very hard to have the structure. Mm-hmm. But as we progressed along the school year, and of course, a lot of the pillars are very difficult for the little ones, like vulnerability is a very hard word to pronounce, let alone to, you know, express or liberation, what it means for for them. But but I think that being exposed at that early age to these concepts, to these words, and then the concepts behind them in very simple terms with games and activities, they now have the vocabulary even to express a feeling or to, to tell us a story about something that happened. So yesterday when we were going around our circle and everybody shared something that they learned, you know, and some of them, one of the, the girls, she actually mentioned vulnerability. And I was the like, first grader. The first grader. And, and she said, opening my heart, you know. And then another uh, student, a boy, he said, I like the session when we talked about the difference between humble and arrogant because humility is one of the pillars. And so we see a lot of examples of arrogance in this world, especially a lot of people in power. So we try to look at examples of leaders who have exhibited immense humility and why that matters because we are all human. We are all on the same plane and on the same level. And so you plant a seed. You plant a seed and you just know that it will sprout, but there needs to be continuity. So we will continue the program hopefully next year as they progress through second grade and third grade uh, because that's the only way to really improve because you can always right. get better It at can't it. just be for the one year. No. So what, what is the ultimate goal? What is your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal is the, a world in which all human beings collectively practice lovescaping. I know that sounds very utopic 
and uh, but I think we need to have that vision and a dream. I know that love is contagious, and I also know that love doesn't get diminished when it's shared, and that is something that is a great message because no amount of love, I can love you, Linda, and I can love my sister, and I can love the person over there, and I won't love you less or her less right. because I gave you love. And so my that's my big vision, but here locally in Houston, my, my goal is to continue lovescaping classes in different schools to grow. I would love lovescaping to be part of the curriculum, the core subject in a school. The same way you have math and reading, lovescaping should be an intrinsic part of the school day. Not an add-on, not an after-school program, something that is worked on every day, even infused in other lessons when you're learning about literature and reading that always you bring up the pillars. How did this character exhibit empathy? How was that an example of solidarity? So you really need the whole culture of the school. You need the buy-in from the principal who drives the culture and then the teachers as well. Um, and so my goal is to continue the programs in the schools where I'm at and others. I'm always getting new uh, recommendations for mm -hmm. new schools and to grow because I am doing it by myself right now. I was now. just going to ask you, are you yes. the only one doing this? Yes. So do you have plans to teach others how to do what you're doing? Yes. Obviously, you have to scale this. Yes, exactly. That would be the next step. And it's exciting to think about it because that means growth. How can other people deliver Lovescaping, right? But it, it it has to. It takes someone who really believes in these values and embodies them. Because as I said, it's through example that you teach. And and what a what a different world it would be if those kinds of pillars and values were taught and became an intrinsic part of who we all are as human beings. Exactly. Um, when you when you look uh, around the world today and you see all of the division and the hatred um, that seems to have just been unleashed um, in ways that we haven't seen in quite some time. Um, and you you look at the just sort of the global picture. You mentioned um, that you're from Venezuela, and there's a very serious situation going on there right now. And it's, as you said um, before we started, that it's become a geopolitical um, um Situation at this point with the superpowers being involved. What are what are your thoughts about how we, as a nation, and then as a as a global society, can come together and really deal with with some of these issues and try to find our way back to our common humanity? Yeah. So I, I believe that lovescaping is the answer. <laughs> Love is the answer, right? And so, but, and we know, a lot of us know that, but we are not doing an intentional... We're not practicing we're it. We're not practicing it, and we are not teaching it. And so my response to all the problems in the world is love. In fact, when I think about my country, Venezuela, and I think about the deterioration, the erosion of the humanity... Because when you're on survival mode, Linda, it's very hard to practice the pillars. And you still have family there. So I you you know firsthand what is happening. Absolutely. And, and the level of suffering that is happening. When your basic needs are not met, it's very hard to be compassionate, to be solidary. That is how civil wars begin. That is how 
any type of conflict begins. So in a way, we as a society, I know that we're starting this work from very, very different playing fields, right? We have a lot to do, but we need to start with love. The economics of Venezuela, for example, that will be fixed. You know, there's precedence for, actually, there's not a precedent for the level of the crisis, but if you look at the Marshall Plan after World War II and all countries that have been destroyed by war and then there's international how they're rebuilt, how they rebuilt, yeah. that, is the, that is the easy part. The hard part is reconstructing our humanity, that social fabric, capturing and, and recovering those values because we have lost our humanity. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, I always think about this one day when we, you know, when my country leaves this crisis, when this crisis ends, like I would love to be part of the reconstruction and to infuse lovescaping, like through the Ministry of Education and others, because that's going to be the hardest thing, reconciliation. Yeah. And that is that is the only way forward to the problems I, in the world. I could not agree with you more. Um, I, it just occurred to me, I, I wonder what it's like when, when you find yourself in a conversation with someone here in the States who um, disagrees with you on a political level, mm-hmm. and you can tell that their views are, are not the same as yours. And I don't know what your politics are. I don't care what they are. It doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, I, I'm more interested in the process mm-hmm. of how you handle that situation and whatever type of conflict there might be. If someone is coming at you um, in a you know pointed way, how do you how do you respond based on you know your philosophy of life and and love being the root of the answer? So the answer is rise above, which is very hard to do especially when you disagree with people because it's easy to practice the pillars of lovescaping with people that you like, with people that you agree with. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. The actual work, the hard work is to do it with people that you disagree with, even people that you dislike. You know, you can, you can. So you say rise above. So what is, what does that mean? Can you, can you give us a, a concrete example of a situation where you had to rise above? So that means following lovescaping, embodying lovescaping, even when others aren't. So if somebody insults me, as it's happened, for example, in my country, when we've had um, issues between the two uh, sides of the of, of the spectrum mm-hmm. uh, and people who are against the government and people for the government, um, violence, rocks being thrown, uh, insults being voiced, mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a choice. Do I throw a rock back? Do I throw an insult back? Or do I rise above and say, this is the only way to break the cycle. I am not going to be like you because if I throw a rock and I insult you back, I am the same. So that's, that's reminiscent of Gandhi and Martin Luther King and violence is not the answer. So if we're able to, find it within ourselves to know that love is the answer, then whenever we're confronted with a situation that is confrontational, we have to be able to take a beat and tap into that as opposed to just reacting, Exactly. which is so often what happens. It's so difficult. I know. It is so, so difficult. I mean, 
you know, you and I are on the same wavelength here. I mean, that's the whole reason for this podcast. And that's why I was so elated when I recently met you and, and learned about the work that you're doing, because I think it's phenomenal. Um, but I, you know, I have to say that it's, it's difficult when someone is, uh, challenging me and coming at me in a way that is confrontational, I have to really make myself stop and think before I I speak and react because so often you just want to give as good as they're giving, you know what I'm saying? And we, we have to be able to, to, to fight that, that instinct to do that. And maybe if, if what you're doing, which is literally teaching the art of love, how to do it, how to express love, that that's, that's a big part of the answer. I agree. And in fact, Gandhi's quote, an eye for an eye and the whole world goes blind. Hmm. That is something we always discuss when we talk about forgiveness, for example, which is another one of the pillars. And that is very hard to do. And it's very hard to forgive. I mean, none of this is easy, yeah. Linda. And that's one of the things that we need to really... You know, that's why we need this new paradigm because we we have, and oftentimes, especially in pop culture and our society with the social media and all, we have this idea, distorted idea of what love is, or highly romanticized idea of what love is. Yeah, it's not real. It's, it's not, not real. Yeah, it's work mm-hmm. and it's hard. And and to answer one of the first questions you asked, who am I to teach love? Right? And and in fact, I. I asked myself that question even be- before publishing the book because, in a way, I didn't want to write about it because to me, love, lovescaping is love in action. It exists in actions. I didn't just want to write about it and, and tell people about it. I, I live it. But in order to teach something, you have to, you have to verbalize it. You have to share it. You have to, if, if it can inspire people, that's already a victory, a, a small victory at least. And so how I answer that question is I am a human being that loves and has been loved and is loved. And and I know and I've witnessed and I've lived the transformational power of love. So it's not because I have a degree, you know, in love or in psychology. <laughs> I mean, but it's, it's, what is your what is your degree in? Uh, in education, in Master's education, education and okay. art history. And, actually, my okay. So I love the arts and history and understanding the history of the world through the lens of arts and all the arts, yeah. dance, music, painting, sculpture. You know how that it enriches our soul and our yeah. existence mm-hmm. and our ability to makes life express. worth living. Enjoying it does. enjoying it does. all of the creativity and all of the arts that that are around us. Exactly. Yeah. And so I am not. A special person that I have the right. You to are teach you are a special person, but uh, just saying you are a special person. No, but. <laughs> you know what I mean. It's like this idea that we are all first and foremost human beings, right? Right, and so I feel like I can share this with the world because it's what I live every day, and so that that is the reason why I'm sharing it. That that's it. Well, I. I'm elated that you are. The book is Lovescaping, and uh, people can find it online, I assume, on Amazon. And Okay, great. Irena, it has been an absolute joy to talk with you, and I really want you to come back 
as your lovescaping um, progresses through the school systems and hopefully will start to catch on in other areas, um, maybe through even an industry. I mean, what would that look like? That would be a whole nother conversation if they taught lovescaping um, at a at a corporate kind of level. Yes, yeah? I would love to do that. That would too. be kind of interesting. Because this is for everybody, like yeah. not just schools. I believe schools are ideal spaces where we can yeah learn we can it. catch them early. But it's never too teach late. them young. And yeah. I've also worked with parents in different contexts too. So there's it's for everybody. It's for everyone. Yeah, yes. because we're all human. We're all human. Lovescaping. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yes. Continued good luck with your work and and you and your students wishing you all the best and uh, really looking forward to seeing where this goes because it's a movement that needs to happen. It's time. It is so time. So thanks so much for taking the time to uh, to watch and listen and for giving our guests permission to speak and share her thoughts and ideas with you. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks so much for giving our guest permission to speak and for having the courage to listen with an open mind. If the mission of Our Voices Matter resonates with you, please like, subscribe, download, and share, and then join the conversation because it really is going to take all of us to make a difference.